Hey everybody, welcome to Top 5 Movies. This is John Burke. With me this week is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And Michael Sanchez. Not today, shark. I, are you going, That's right. Are you going by a different name today? or? Yeah. Ah. Um, In honor of Shark Week? It is... Uh, man, we should have done like shark movies. Um, yeah. That's not our topic tonight, though. Our topic for Top 5 Movies this week, episode number 59, is going to be the best of the 2000s. So we've already done... Best of the 80s, best of the 90s, and now we're doing best of the 2000s. So this is going to be from 2000 to 2009 um, is the range, and we will, we have compiled our uh, top movies. We did not discuss any kind of criteria, so any movie that came out during that time period, we were able to assemble our list. So um, we could have gone with like our favorite movies from that time period, um, or kind of what I did was movies that I feel have left a lasting impression on society. Um and I will justify my picks in that way. Um, so and that, that was me trying to avoid, like, because my favorites have been, a lot of my favorite movies come from this this time period. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I was scrolling through, like, yeah, there's a bunch of movies that I love from the 2000s. Um, and I didn't want to just talk about the same movies over and over again. So, like, I left Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead off my list. Um, and I didn't bring up... Um, the Dark Knight, because I've talked about it so many times. It's like, yeah, let's. I want to. I want to talk about other movies I like from this time period too, not just the ones that I've already spoke about a few times. So I, I kind of approach the list slightly different. Um, I wouldn't say my list is going to be like, for the most part, there are going to be movies people have seen, but I don't think I've talked about it on my list. So. Hmm. Hmm. See, I think my approach is top five that you probably haven't seen so you should adjust <laughs> your hedge your bets accordingly got it got it yeah and that's i we, like that though. i like that approach we wouldn't have ever wouldn't have expected any other way though um no. i tried to approach it the way that you did john and i tried to approach a lot of lists that way but for some reason with this topic it just felt dishonest i so. i agree and i feel that way with every list but then i remember that like we're doing a show and I don't want it to be like the Edgar Wright, you know, fandom hour every week. <laughs> so I have to find nom, other, nom, nom, nom. other ways to talk <laughs> about it. Maybe Ben will be a guest. Maybe. <laughs> Actually, probably would like put a restraining order. Just like this guy talks no, about me no. way too much. Um, Actually, when he taught, when he called the other day from STCC, he did say that he did said he's in motion for a cease and desist. Oh man. No. He, he's got to share himself out to more than just the the niche population. Well. Um, before we get into our list uh, for the week, I do have. Uh, have you guys seen any movies lately? Yes. Oh, uh, Corey, I'm since you go first. yeah, go first. Okay. Um. So I've been really excited to see this one. So I watched um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and then today we went to see War for the Planet of the Apes. Nice. And what did you think of both of those? I have loved all three of them. I've heard uh, from some uh, slash film cast um, 
Jeff Kanata is one of the three main hosts, and he, um, I agree with his sentiment that the, this might be one of the best trilogies ever, like up there with Star Wars and Back to the Future. Um, mm-hmm. Just all, all three movies are great. Uh, the story arc of this trilogy is, is very well comp- composed. Uh, it's a beautiful movie, and um, it's it's... It's fantastic. Um, I, I agree, Corey. I also got to see War on Wednesday, and I loved it as well. I, I don't know. Thinking about last week and the conversation, you guys, this sounds very much like apists' propaganda. And I'm okay with that because, you know, the apes will be our overlords if we head this direction. So. Word. Uh, we should get on the good side now while we can. Um, Team Caesar. Hmm. Uh, Mike, have you seen hmm. anything recently? I have not been watching stuff at the theater. I actually... I'm in the middle of two things. I started watching John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness again. Mm. Actually, I finished it, but I want to watch it again more closely. And there's another one that I don't know that it. it uh, I, let me try to get the the title because I got a few screens going. Did I remember right? The Creep Behind the Camera. And I think it originally started. They wanted to do a documentary on the person that did. And put together that financed and directed and and wrote. You know, he didn't write it, but uh, put together a, a movie, a really horrible, horrible Ed Wood. I mean, up there called the the Creeping Terror, and it was actually done as a Mystery Science Theater three thousand episode, a pretty classic one. But I don't remember seeing it. Uh, and if the guy is anyway, I mean, because there's some association with Charles Manson at some point. They, they, I mean, the whole, the parts, I'm about halfway through, so I want to finish the film. It's crazy. If he's even half as insane as what he's being portrayed as, uh, mm, I mean, and mm-hmm. it's it, the, the way they did it, because they ended up doing a docudrama and horror kind of deal, because he's pretty, he's crazy. So, uh, but that's what I've been in, because I really haven't been getting to the theater. and Yeah. Well, I mean, we have access to so many movies now. We don't have to go to the theater to see things um, that are older, especially. But I do like to, uh, I like going to the theater, even although I'll, very often I am annoyed by other people that are also there. Um, That's part of why I haven't been. I got to say, I've noticed this new trend that I really want to get, like, stopped immediately. And that's people using their flashlights to find their seats. Uh, like, the flashlights on their phone. Um most of the time, up until now, when we, all of our phones have flashlights, we have gone to the movies and not used a flashlight to find our seat. Nothing has changed. You do not need a flashlight to find your seat. And especially if the movie is already on. You cannot walk around with a flashlight wavering around because you're late. Come on time and find a seat. Or wait and figure out how to get to a seat without a flashlight because it's just rude it is so rude and it's happening what are you talking what are you expecting people to be considerate That's three a times this <laughs> week i've seen that i want to point like it's three it's, times uh, three that different does not movies. surprise me it's nuts i'm it about not be. to the point that i just wanted to invest in an even bigger tv and then just like start watching at home although i love going to the theater so much but like I'm in a today there it was it's, Bill and I and five other people and the people next to us were talking the whole time uh, and then the people down in the front she kept getting phone calls and she would like ignore it right but then she would text them back 
and she just had her phone on constantly. And then the one single guy, he kept lighting up his smartwatch. Like, I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably guilty and see, of the smartwatch. You're, reinfor- you're reinforcing why I avoid. I mean, I, a lot, no. there's been a few that have been positive experiences, but it's not really generally the case. And I don't know. I just don't want to be. Who did, who did I tell to be quiet? Oh, the Power Rangers. That was the last time I told uh, them. Yep. And I was not very polite, and I don't like to be that way. But yeah, when the rest of the audience sighs in relief because finally someone spoke up at the idiocy in the, mm-hmm. you know, in the rows, I'm like, come on, just be parents because they were sitting with their parents and they were allowing it. Yeah, that's. And then on top of that, if you're the adults, come on, adult, this this is not. If you're gonna do that, watch it at home. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's not your living room. Or this if you is a theater. if you want to hang out with your friend and have a conversation, go get coffee. You know, there's places for that. Movie theater is not yeah, a place to have that deep, meaningful conversation with this person you haven't seen in two years. Like, don't go to a movie. Like, go. Uh, in fact, that's a really expensive place to have a conversation. You just spent twenty dollars to get in, and now you're not gonna watch the thing you paid to see. Like, no, that's not okay. Good for you that you have oh, disposable income, but. And that's why the movies, and I remember long ago someone said the movies, um, taking someone to the movies is just such a terrible first date. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I like going to the movies, and so I'm like, hey, this is my world. Bring, come join me in it. You know, that was always my idea. But, yeah, if, if your goal is to get to know the person, the movies is a bad choice. But um, on a side note, I've, I've watched a lot of movies this week. Um, I watched Chinatown for uh, the first time, and that was for oh, yeah. our movie club. Um, which is out now. Um, well, it came out Sunday, uh, since you're hearing this now on Wednesday. Um, I watched Edward Scissorhands for the first time in a long time. Like, I've seen it before, but I don't think I've seen it since I was a kid, so I didn't remember hardly any of it. Um, enjoyed that a lot. Actually, was really impressed with Winona Ryder in that. Um, I watched The 400 Blows for the first time, the uh, Francis Truffaut film. Um, in a row? Oh, <laughs> Uh, War of the Planet of the Apes. So this is War of the Planet of the Apes was on Wednesday, and it was my first return to going to the theater since I had my gallbladder removed. Um, so I was excited to get to see that. Uh, I then went to IMAX and saw Dunkirk on opening night, um, which was amazing. I saw Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, which is not doing well global. Uh, well, domestic box office apparently has not opened worldwide yet. I think that movie is going to do really well in China when it opens, um, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, go. I watched On Demand yesterday, which is a movie Mike's talked about to us a few times from 1999, I believe. Um, and it has Katie Holmes, Sarah Pauly, um, uh, 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 Timothy, Timothy Oliphant, uh, Scott Wolf, uh, Scott Wolf, Jay and Jay Moore. I love them, by the way. I, I'm a, a Jay Moore. I, I enjoy in a lot of movies. Um, I really like their 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 arc. Um, I found the <laughs> movie to be very interesting. Um, I like the the storytelling because it's nonlinear and the three different like threads that kind of converge together. Um, it's 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 like Doug Liman's Pulp Fiction esque yeah. sort of take sort of on it. Mm-hmm. But also when you they don't know you know what what they're getting into and then it ends up being all right, do we give it away because we haven't done a spoiler warning? Yeah, no, let's not just in case. But uh, okay, because it is kind of funny. It is, uh, and Go is on Stars, I think, right now. It might be on Showtime. I don't. I watch it on demand. Um, if you haven't seen it, like myself, I, I went through. I don't know how many like rows of movies to on demand yesterday. Like I wanted to watch a movie and I was just scrolling forever, and then I, I saw Go, and I was like, Hey, Mike. Mike talked about this movie. 
I'm gonna watch this, and um, there oh, it was. And then uh, the last oh, movie I watched. Know, you, oh, go ahead. You you missed your Fred Dur- opportunity to Fred Durst because he could have been scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Oh no, um, <laughs> that's such an old. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that joke. Um, and then last night my oh. wife and I, um, our daughter was out of town with her grandmother, and so we had a date night. And we went up and saw um, Girls Trip, which uh, is with. The big, the big sick is the best comedy, but that movie's like a com. It's a rom com. It's not just a comedy. Girls Trip is a straight comedy, and it is the best comedy of the summer by far. It is really funny. Um, it's very, very well acted. Uh, all, all four involved. Um, it's very raunchy. Like it, the, the jokes are dirty in almost every instance. What? No. Pretty, pretty really? much out the gate. Like it, it starts pretty, pretty funny, but. Um, I was really impressed with Jada Pinkett Smith, who is an actress I've generally found to be kind of bland. Um, they kind of play into that and then uh, let her kind of rise out of it as as the movie goes on. And it's hilarious throughout the film. Um, Tiffany Haddish, who plays Dina in the movie, she is so funny. Um, definitely, again, mega inappropriate. Like, this is not a family movie, but... It is a really funny movie. Um, I have to say the theater was predominantly women. There were a few guys, um, but everyone was laughing. And it was one of those weird movie moments where there was someone in the audience who kept like, like commenting on the movie, but their comments were so in line with what was happening that it just made the experience better rather than ruining it, um, which is nice when that happens because it was like audience participation that everyone was okay with. And uh it wasn't excessive. I think like three times throughout the movie they said something, and it just like it worked. It, it wasn't in a, it wasn't out of line. It wasn't too loud, but it was loud enough that you could hear it. Um, but I don't know for some reason, just because everyone was having a good time, everyone in the theater was laughing. It was just a really positive movie, um, movie going experience. It's a very funny movie. It's not perfect. It has a few little technical flaws, and uh, the third act comes kind of late, and then all the resolution gets like slammed in like real fast and a little cheesy. Um, but uh, the the journey's a lot of fun. So if you were on the on the fence about Girl Strip, I gotta say uh, the critics and myself being one of them, we're all loving it. It's actually really really good. So something uh, might be worth checking out if it was a movie you were curious about. All right, that's what we've been watching since our last episode. Um, unless there's anything else, we're going to jump into our top five list. You guys got anything? Hmm. Well, I guess I guess we would be doing a disservice, even though it will be a few days out. Uh, you guys know San Diego Comic-Con is going on this week, right? Yeah. Yes. A lot of trailers have dropped, um, particularly yes. uh, Stranger Things Season 2, which I know Mike was super pumped about. Um, we had the Justice League new trailer drop that has a lot more footage um, of everybody in action. Uh, the 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 that there was the mention of the lanterns in that trailer, mm-hmm. wasn't there? Yeah, which the, there wasn't uh, before. Steppenwolf says there's no lanterns. Um, no well, lanterns, no Kryptonian. Yep. And then uh, there's a scene with Alfred towards the end of the trailer where somebody arrives and sa- and he says, like, we've been expecting you or he told me to expect you. So the question is, is that Superman? Because we know Superman's going to be in the movie. That's I don't know why they haven't bothered to show him because we all know he's in it. He's listed on the cast list. Um, you don't have Justice League without Superman. We all know he's going to come back. We got that. Surely, uh, surely someone had said Martha at some point. So he's going yeah. to find out. <laughs> um, but there's also rumor that maybe it was a lantern that Alfred was talking to because the lantern is the only thing that's not 100% confirmed. 
Um, yeah. Ooh, that would be a what a twist. Yeah. And now the question, of course, if you are a Green Lantern fan, not not the movie. No one's no one wants to admit that they're a fan of that movie. We're talking if you're a fan of the comics. The big question becomes: Which Lantern is it going to be? Hal Jordan? Is it going to be John Stewart? Is it going to be um, Guy Gardner, who is the one I'm rooting for, but I know he'll never get to be in a movie? Um, and or Kyle Rayner, who is would be the surprise. Honestly, it's really between Hal and John Stewart. Um, how being the traditional first Green Lantern of Earth, but um, for the generation of people who are going to see this movie, Jon Stewart was their Green Lantern because of the animated Justice League series. So it's a big question: who do you who do you bring in? And of course, the cast is suffering a little bit from diversity. So Jon Stewart would help a little bit in that capacity. At least getting an African American hero into the uh, the Justice League movie would be a benefit. So. And of course, we it could be multiple Green Lanterns because it, on the slate is still the Lantern Corpse movie or the Lantern Corps movie. Um, Corpse, he's dead. Sometimes I hate her language. I'm just saying there shouldn't be a P there. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, it is. It's. I'm curious to see what how they're gonna play it. I still there's something I don't like about the look of the world in the uh, the DC movies right now. Um, Wonder Woman didn't suffer from it bad until the end fight sequence where it, it just the world feels fake and I don't I don't like it for some reason like I want it to still like I want to see it, it always looks like you're in the middle of an apocalypse like most of Batman vs Superman everything looked like it was falling now granted yes Darkseid will bring an apocalypse but <coughs> I still think it should look more like tangible than it does it looks CG it looks like a computer world Hmm. Maybe, maybe they're still working on it, and it'll be cleaned up. I would believe that, but I think what I just said applies to every Zack Snyder movie. Basically, it, it applies. Maybe that's the world he lives in and doesn't know any other. Well, but you know, like Watch Watchmen had that feel about it, right? Like there were moments where it's very tangible, but then there are moments where it just feels like you're in another place. Um, Three hundred felt that way. Uh, the what was the um, the movie with the girls? Uh, Sucker Punch had that same kind of look to it. It's just this artificial look. Or how many diff- How many times has he used the same DP? Uh, I don't know if it's the DP. That's a good question, though. Um, something to look into later. Not I, not enough, but um, the big the big Marvel news was the uh, the new Thor trailer that dropped. Um, mm. Have you guys seen that yet? Bits and pieces. It's it. Honestly, the the parts I've seen has made it so that this seems to be the Thor movie I'll actually want to watch because I haven't really cared about the others. Yeah, uh, not at all. Um, I I mean, I I said I liked the second one more. I don't know that that was true so much. It didn't feel as boring. I think than the first one. The first one really felt like it dragged for, for a while. Um, I am I am looking Ooh. forward to this one mainly because of Taika Waititi. Um. And his sense of humor yes. definitely seems to be uh, yes. ringing out from the trailer. Well, and not to say that Thor is a super uh, a Marvel comic Superman analog, but if you're akin to being a god, how nigh invulnerable are you? Do you know what I mean? Where's the suspense? Yeah. Where's the danger? Yeah. Uh, not so much that. It's just his. Uh, I don't know. And this might be the one that the Hulk finally will shine in. I mean, not that he's been bad in the Avengers. But none of the other Hulk movies on his own have been 
know, yeah, done very well. Well, in the last sequence of um, the trailer, you get to see Thor and, and Hulk, not Bruce Banner, Hulk, sitting and having a conversation of sorts. Um, and in the comics, at some point, Hulk is able to, Bruce is able to kind of carry his consciousness into the Hulk and communicate like Bruce, but be the Hulk. And it's not quite to that level, but it's definitely... He's much more. Maybe it's something that happens. Something they'll explain it as, and something that happens to him when he's in space. Because mm-hmm. obviously he's captured and made a gladiator. Definitely, and um, yeah, I, I'm very excited. I hope it's great. Now, the the other thing um that from Marvel is it leaked the uh they showed like a preview trailer for Infinity uh Infinity War, Avengers Infinity War. And it leaked. Somebody filmed it on their phone, and that's out Ooh. on the internet. Um, have, uh, and it hasn't been pulled yet. I saw it. I don't know if it's been pulled as of now, um, but I uh. did see it. Uh, I take it neither of you saw that yet. No, I've been looking, no. and I hadn't found it. I didn't realize it was out. Um, there. One of the cool things about it is uh, it starts with the Guardians, and they're flying through space, and bam, something slams up against the windshield, and it's Thor. Um, and, oh. and they pull him into the ship, and so that seems to be the, he'll be the the thread that has them go back to Earth. Um, and you do see you see Spider Man in the trailer, you see uh, Captain America, um, you see Iron Man, like you see a, a lot of the cast. Like they want you to like look how many people are in this. Um, so right away, I was very hyped for it. Um, it's not it's a phone recording, so you get crowd reactions, and they're clearly trying to be discreet. It's like down low, like in you can still see someone's head the whole time, so it's not. It's not the best recording, but it is uh, a taste, which when this happened last time with Marvel, they they ended up releasing the trailer like a couple of weeks later. So fingers crossed that we'll have the trailer officially released sooner than later. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'd like to see. I, I'll, I'm, you I, I'm wonder, speechless. Or I wonder when there will ever be a case that they make everyone leave their phones outside of the room or something. Which people could still smuggle in something yeah. to record, but you know, these—it's kind of an you know a big deal. That these people get to go to these different events and stuff, mm-hmm. and then. You know. And it leaks all the time. I mean, I, we the Warcraft trailer leaked like two years ago. Like it's always something always leaks out of Hall H. So that's why a lot of times they bring what they want. They're gonna release immediately. Like I think the Justice League trailer released immediately after the panel ended. Um, oh. Like because they were just like, yeah, we know it's gonna leak, so we might as well just go ahead and. Have it ready to give out. The, the last last Jedi did that too, right? Yep. They well they did After the celebration. The release was live. Remember, like they were live streaming mm. the whole thing, so everything they showed was already on the internet anyway. So like leak leak it. It's it's too late. It's already leaked. We leaked it before you could leak it. <laughs> um, more, more leaks than a faulty depends. Now before uh, we move on, I do I want Mike if you have anything you want to say about Stranger Things season two because I know you're super excited about it. When that came up, because I saw it and I kind of watched it silently, and at that point I thought, and I haven't watched it on the on our flat screen or anything. I just watched it on the iPad, and just seeing them dressed because we'd seen them before dressed as Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. but that I had that gasp moment, and I don't know if you, anyone else shared it with me, where they're in the arcade, which was awesome because that's a throwback to my youth. We had so many quarters that we spent way back when, and. Oh, it's, uh, it's it escapes me the game they were playing. Uh, but they were all uh, dungeon, in. dungeon siege, dungeon. dungeon uh, no, 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 uh, dragon's lair. Dragon's Thank lair. You. That's it. Dragon's yep. lair. 
the Don Bluth animated where you had the motion perfect. Thank you. I, I knew I'd recognize him. So as he's in there, he's Will's able to see whatever this creature is, and then he's in the upside down. Yep. And uh, and you know right there. <gasps> then then the moment where you see seven. Seven eleven. My goodness, why did I say seven? Seven eleven, man. I'm making. You, you want a Slurpee? <laughs> yes, I'm looking for. I'm pushing for sponsors. Um, <laughs> but eleven, and see, I can't even get my character straight because I'm just that ecstatic about it. And then breaking through in that one barrier. So you know, there was a wonder. Well, it couldn't have been too much of a question as to, I guess, maybe how much he would be involved. But I know Millie Bobby Brown is still part and considers that part of that family and was pictured in uh, San Diego Comic-Con pictures. That's the thing is I haven't seen that many posts online. I've been actively looking and then kind of sci-fi had a bunch on their snap. Uh, and then so here and there, some people had some, but not as many as I thought I, I would see. Uh, but just, oh, I'm glad it's October 27th and not actual Halloween night. Yeah. Because I thought Halloween was going to be, so that's a whole four days earlier than what we I thought was going to have it was going to premiere. Uh, uh, I'll be binge watching again. Yeah, this time I'm going to be trendy and I'll be on top of it rather than like four months later. But um, I am excited about it as well. Uh, I saw the uh, the trailer last night after um, I got home from Girls Trip and immediately watched that. And then I watched the Justice League trailer again and then the Thor trailer. And then I did watch um, the Ready Player One trailer. Have you guys heard of that? I've seen the part where it looks like is it the Iron Giants? Correct. Um, it is a book series that my my uh, one of my coworkers and good friends um, is a is a big fan of, and uh, I heard about that he was waiting for a movie adaptation. Although he's more of a book guy, anyways. Um, and we heard Spielberg was doing it, so we, he was like, "Okay, maybe they'll do it right." And so far, from what I'm hearing, um, people are excited about it. That it it's it's pulling the book off. It is very pop culture heavy um and it looks like they got a lot of license licensing to pull this off um because you see freddy krueger uh iron giant mm -hmm. uh a teenage mutant ninja turtle uh the music that's playing is definitely from things there's a, a car chase sequence where there is clearly the delorean from back to the future in the car chase um i mean it, it's going to be very very like as tarantino likes to reference pop culture in his dialogue this will be like that visually there's just going to be tons and tons of things to take in and recognize and identify um but it's supposed to be a really cool book series it, it deals with virtual reality which is very trendy right now so it makes a lot of sense that it's coming um in a film form um and the trailer looks exciting and a little confusing i don't exactly understand what the, the plot is um other than this kid escapes his crappy life by going into this virtual world called the oasis um but that's all i could really gain from the trailer um, but I only watched it once, so maybe a couple of watches I would pick up a few things that I didn't get. But uh, it is Spielberg. Seems very Tron-like. Oh, there's a Tron light cycle in the uh, that race I was talking about too, by the way. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Yeah. So again, pop culture all over the place. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's definitely one to check out if you did if you did miss it. Um, all right, uh, Corey, do you have anything you want to say about all the? We just kind of talked a whole bunch about nerdy trailer stuff. Is there anything you want to add? I'm also very excited for uh, Stranger Things 2, Season 2, um, Winona is my homegirl, and no. All right. <laughs> too bad, Corey. Um, I'm going to make you watch all the comic book movies. So. Nope! 
I like you guys are talking about, it and I've seen like links to watch the trailers and stuff, and I just can't even. I can't do it. I did see a photo of um, what's his, why am I blanking out? Uh, but Taika Waititi uh-huh. with um the guy with oh Thor, what's his name? Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, they're like sitting on a plane or something together, oh. and Chris Hemsworth like took a selfie of them, and I was like, hey, because you know uh, I like what uh. Hunt for the Wilder People? Yes, Isn't it. that That's one that it. Yep, yep, yeah, yep. I have, that'll be awesome. But. I have high hopes. Um, all right, guys, we're going to get into our top five. If you've never listened to the podcast before, we come up with a topic, we make our list in private, and then we reveal them to each other on the show. Um, before we do that, Corey? Spoiler warning, if you want to go to BurkeReviews.com and check out our list ahead of time, you can do so. If not, we'll steam ahead. And before we get into our list, sorry, Corey, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, Corey and I would like to bid on how many of Mike's movies we have actually seen. Um, These are from the 2000 to 2009 area because our topic, again, is top five movies from the the best of the 2000s. And I am going to say I feel like I've seen a lot, but I also missed a lot. Oh, I was going to say two. Um, I had to get it fast. Well, you, right. who's bidding first? Because if she jumped in and you were bidding first, you could usurp well, or sniper bid. I'll let her too. I'm gonna I'm gonna price is right and go one. Um, I have seen one of Mike's movies, and the reason we do this is Mike's films are often a little more obscure, uh, and thus Corey and I have not seen many of them. Although he often uh, makes us want to see them, like the movie Go that I just watched this week, um, even though that was from several episodes ago. Um, I think though, Mike, it's your turn to go first this week. And then, yes. and then me, then Corey. Is that a, is that right to everybody? All right. Sounds good to me. So, Mike, what do you got for number five for your best of the two thousands? Um. So I think I figure we would all be in agreement that Alex Garland's Ex Machina is a contemporary classic of science fiction. And yes, no, maybe. Yeah, but I would think you, so. You uh, had me worried for a second. I'm like, that's like two years ago. But that's not your pick. So never right, mind. <laughs> that's not my pick. That is not. My, I got my dates right. Okay, Jeez. sorry, sorry. You're like you're like you're like Ralph Macchio uh, cueing uh, oh, Zapka no. with the right leg. Oh, man. <laughs> man, I didn't realize he did that until I heard it on. I know the other podcast. Funny. That's nuts. I have to watch that. Hundreds of views, and I never noticed. So, his 2000 collaboration with Danny Boyle, however, The Beach is likely not to be considered by many to be a contemporary classic. The ratings definitely reflect that. A 6.6 IMDb score, 43 meta score, and a 19% on the tomato meter. Or is that tomato meter? Tomato meter? Tomato meter? Oh, on the thermometer. Ooh, that sounds better. I think it's tomometer. Tomato meter. Anyway, I think that's confirmation for sure. But something about the beach stuck out to me, whether it was the sense of urgency it had in, in moments or the danger of becoming much too sure of what uh, someone, the character specifically, uh, becoming much too sure of themselves at the cost of others' lives or maybe even just the idea of creating a modern-day utopia. All the combination of these ideas is really tough to kind of boil down, to condense down into a two-hour running time. Danny Boyle. an hour and 15 couldn't boil down the plot maybe not and it is a novel i mean it's taken it's garnered from alex garland's novel um and it it it, and that's that's where i was kind of going with that they may lend itself more to the written page uh and i don't know if maybe 
two and a half hours would have been like too long for it. But in any case, I know one of the parts. There's a there's a whole sequence. Have you, either of you seen it? I did. I saw it in the theater. Um, Me too. Okay. But cool. I don't remember anything about it, but <laughs> except for that Leonardo was in it. Um, but I did see it. Okay. Okay. Well, Leonardo, this is my earliest memory of Tilda Swinton, who I loved. Uh, Robert Carlyle's in it, but well, not for very long. That's because it's a Danny Boyle movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, uh, but in any case, there's one, and the, uh, I can tell I can tell you exactly who it is, but I won't name them. But they were definitely stuck on the video game part. There's a part where Leonardo DiCaprio's, uh, I think his name was Richard, his character seems to be stuck in a real-life video game, which, uh, I mean, I, the argument could be made because in the context of the film, it makes perfect sense because he'd been... Uh, I'll give you the gist. I'll break it down. But it, it was—it's kind of like Twenty One Jump Street scene where Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum's characters have to take that the drug in front of the dealer the way <laughs> like they would have to do and rush in order yeah. to prove they're not narcs. But to a, a much more understated extreme, and it worked. I thought that scene was hysterical in Twenty One Jump Street. Uh, this one, you know, was a more dramatic turn, and I guess maybe it seemed—I don't know—it fit. It fit with Danny Boyle. I'm, because uh, I, I think the people that had an issue with that were de- had definitely not seen Train Spotting. Um, but in any case, um, so you're aware, but not everybody might be aware. DiCaprio plays an American traveler who is in Thailand. He's in search of a local legend of a place that people, where people have settled, supposedly settled on, as well as the copious amounts of cannabis. I'm guessing it was for medical usage that's grown there. Um, <laughs> Uh, along the way, he picks up another pair of travelers, which sets up a love triangle of sorts. He fixates on Francois, who's uh, played by Virginia. I'm going to butcher her name, so I apologize. My French accent is not so good. Uh, Virginia Ledoyen? Ledoyen? I don't know. She still acts in a lot of foreign works, but I haven't seen her in anything recently. But the thing of it is that the cannabis farmers are... A whole lot ter- t- more territorial about their farmlands that people realize it leads to an eventual showdown between the islanders who are led by Tilda Swinton. Lo- her character, it, 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 it all comes to a head at some point. Um, and so it's, for me, it was definitely one of those right place, right times kind of films for me. I probably would not have taken to it in this particular age, but being a 20-something at the time, uh, when I viewed it, all of its sensibilities totally clicked with me and it's one of those that got overlooked yeah um i have seen it so i've already met my one um i have watched at least one of mike's movies this week um but uh i i don't remember liking it i may not have understood it because i was 2000 i was uh 17 or either turning 18 depending on when it came out um and i don't recall thinking much of it um, I can't remember, I, I literally don't remember much, I just know I saw it. Um, but it is, uh, yeah, it's a movie that I've considered rewatching. but then when I see that it also, like you said, it has 19 Rotten Tomatoes and things like that, kind of makes me think I was probably right. But now that you're saying it, now I'm like, oh, well, maybe there's something there, and I need to give it another go. Especially because well, it's Danny I mean, Boyle. It is Danny Boyle, though. So it, Yeah. So it may not be his one of his classics, but I think it's tough to follow up train spotting for sure. Uh, I I liked it. I, I like the Fred Durst endorsement that you just sent over. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the other part too, and part of my greeting, the it's not exactly what he says that not today shark, but that there is a part where he has a showdown with a shark, and so 
he becomes, you know, a legend among the tribes folk that, you know, the people that have settled in this little community because he faced down a shark and lived. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that doesn't work out so well for someone else because right. they run into the same shark. Oh, spoilers. Um, I, have you not seen it, Corey? I, I have seen, I don't remember seeing the whole thing. I think I probably watched half of it. I don't remember the timeline of when Leonardo DiCaprio's character actually gets to that island, but I know that I at least made it a little past there. Um, I am a big Leonardo DiCaprio fan, especially uh, back then, but um, something about the movie, you know, didn't stick with me. I've also been thinking uh, that I need to revisit it just because of Danny Boyle, and I totally didn't, you know, know that Tilda Swinton was in it, so... Yeah, I didn't remember that either. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, near the end, well, it's almost near, the, it's at the end, pretty much, that there's a pretty intense showdown, and what she does, well, it's it's pivotal, so... Word. Well, uh, it's a good, interesting pick, for sure. It's one that a lot of people, I think, probably didn't see, um, so... I think it, it works um, as a pick for this. All right. Um, I am. I think I'm going to change my number five, like, on the fly here. Um, Whoa. Which is okay, because I, I had... Uh, I'm sure you guys experienced this as well. This was a very hard list to narrow down um, because it's such a broad topic. And I apparently... Uh-oh. That's not good. Um, I, I uh, started going to the movies regularly in like 1999 like i was going every week like i got i was working at a very famous fast food restaurant with the golden arches and um my paycheck generally went to go to the movies i would go on saturday night i'd hang out at the mall and then go see a movie or friday night depending on my schedule and i did that pretty much every week um through 99 and into the 2000s um and then when i started college in 2000 i initially was working at a movie theater um, I only worked there for about a month, and I realized that like I didn't want to have I didn't want to have a job that required me to always work weekend nights. Um, went my freshman year of college, so I ended up quitting after just a month. But I also I saw a bunch of movies while I was working there, and then I continued still like watching films quite frequently. So um, there's a lot for me to pull from from this this time period is basically what I'm saying. But I've decided uh, I'm going to go with my number five from Best of Two Thousand is a movie called Super Troopers. You guys seen Super Troopers? I am aware of it, but not... It's... Perfect. Uh, this is a film that would fall into the cult classic category, so much so that last uh -huh. year or the year before, they did a Kickstarter to do the sequel, Super Troopers 2, and it broke a record, I think, for the fastest uh, to meet the goal. Um, and the sequel is set to come out this year, in fact. Um, and so, uh, 16 years later, after it came out... There is a sequel coming out with these guys. Now, this is the, um, uh, what are they called? The um, Broken Lizard crew. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it's a it's a 48 on Metacritic, but a 7-1 on user score on IMDb. Um, five Vermont State Troopers, of uh, avid pranksters with a knack for screwing up, try to save their jobs now through the local police department by solving a crime. Um, there's this rivalry between the local police and the state troopers. Um, there's, it's t full of t tons and tons of dumb jokes. 
that uh, you know people quote like have you ever heard anybody say the snozberries taste like snozberries? Obviously, that's a Willy Wonka line, but they're, they're probably not referencing Willy Wonka. It's one of those things where this movie rebring that introduces that line from the original Willy Wonka in a way that is just so funny and that's this movie like throughout there's just you know tons and tons of dumb things that people love and it's it's a again it's one that was i think it was slept on in theaters it it found its legs after it came to home video and people started sharing their copies of it um it is again super funny very culty and uh again so much so that there's another one coming uh this year at some point so i feel like it had a lasting impression on that decade and that's why i picked it is that impact that it had The the super well the um, broken lizard band have they done anything recently? Um, I don't remember the last thing they were involved with. They did uh, Club Dread, which did not do very well. Um, they mm-hmm. did have Beer Fest, which uh, did Beer very Fest. well. Um, and I think they had something. Um, well, obviously the second Super Troopers they've been working on for a couple of years now, and that again will be a crowdfunded sequel, which is a big deal. Um, looking. I feel like they did have something, but I'm trying to find, they all have, all of the actors have appeared on a variety of shows and stuff and movies and whatnot. Um, Bad Teacher was directed by uh, Jay, I'm not going to say his name right. Um, Shonda Sakar? Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, how I don't even, I don't even know how I remember that last name, but. Yeah, I thought you were looking at it the way you just spouted it out, but wow, that's impressive. Um. Yeah, he's the mustached man in the... Um, well, they're all mustached men in the, the State Troopers. But, but um, yeah, it's a movie that I've seen dozens of times. I actually had to buy a second copy of it um, because somebody borrowed it and never returned it. And, oh. Because um, it's this type of movie. It's this, It's got this cult you know, appeal to it. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about the sequel. I hope it's as funny as the first one. Again, it's not, like, brilliant. It's not, like... Um, a masterful comedy but it's it's just good fun and it's but the fan it's for the fans that it's garnered i mean it's definitely like uh like you said cult yeah popularity i just missed out on it um beer fest wasn't kind of my cup of tea but i didn't i didn't really give it a chance and i wanted to like club dread but i didn't really get into it either i kind of club dread never watched didn't do well though collectively comparatively at least uh beer fest has its it's cult following too there's some really funny bits in it um but super troopers just there's so many funny parts i mean and the characters they create like farvra who is this obnoxious reject of a character um he's great he's so funny and uh the things that he does trying to fit into this group it took it's just ridiculous um <laughs> and, and i don't know there's just there's so many little funny moments in the movie that if you if you watch it um, you may not like it. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but if it is, it's one that you'll go back to multiple times. And again, the fact that they're making a sequel and it was f- crowdfunded feels like it belongs on this list. It had a huge impact on this decade. Um, I didn't realize how early it was too. Like I think I became aware of the movie like 2003, because um, I remember uh, hanging out with my band at the time. Um, we would watch this movie like frequently. It was one that everybody in like our, the band and then all of our close friends that were like part of the band but they didn't play instruments and stuff but they were at every every practice and every show um we would watch this movie like just all hanging out on the couch watching super troopers um almost every week it was just one we went back to all the time and so i i felt like it deserved a spot on this list so 
All right, Corey. Have to, have to add it on the to to view list. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's definitely worth watching. Um, at least once. Uh, Corey, what's your number five best of two thousand? Pretty sure I had this one on my comfort list. Sorry, guys. Um, two thousand eight, The House Bunny. Oh, great. I probably wouldn't have watched this movie if Anna Ferris wasn't in it. Um, but I'm a pretty big fan of hers. I'm sure I've missed some things that she's had come out, but um, I think she's hilarious, and I just think she has a great presence. I um, believe that if you ever find yourself in need of a mental health day, this is one to, you know, give a viewing to, and um, I love the dialogue. It makes me laugh every single time. I don't care how many times I hear about brothel and soup, I'm going to die, and this is one that I a lot and I actually am really happy my husband likes this movie too because he doesn't sit and watch a lot of movies with me but if I put this one on you know I'll sit and give it a watch um this is one that when it first came out I think my wife and I skipped uh my wife is not a fan of of things like playboy and things like that so the fact that it's framed as a playmate is the lead character initially made her like cringe like ugh but um, I don't remember what made her end up watching it, but it's one that it found a, it found its way into our lives in our home video collection. Um, and I actually just watched it on the other day. It was on HBO or Stars or something, and I couldn't turn it off once I started it. Um, lots of funny parts. I love her repeating the name thing, like you know, Corey. Um, <laughs> Cinderella. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Emma Stone is really great in it. Um, we have uh, Kat Dennings. Emma Yeah, what? Rumor Willis and Catherine McPhee is so funny in this movie. Which which the girl singer. is Catherine McPhee? She's the pregnant one. Oh okay. Harmony. Got it. <laughs> yep. Um, the Harmony. Uh. <laughs> well, and um, you have uh, Colin Colin Hanks is in it. Um, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a really good cast. It's very funny. Um, and uh, you know, considering it is about a playmate, it's it's not tame. But there's no nudity in the movie, so like it's tame in that way. Like they they keep it, you know, dirty humor toned down a bit, you know. Yeah, you guys didn't mention that Shooter McGavin was in this, and um, the Actually, mom from Vacation. I want to point out though uh, the Shooter McGavin um, character as the dean. I love that dean. Like not necessarily him as dean, although I do think he does a great job. But specifically the dean they wrote for that movie because. He isn't, like, against anybody. He's literally just doing his job, like, the whole time. He's never, like, overly a jerk to anything. And he does, like, root for the underdogs a little bit at the end. But it's not because he's, like, being a jerk. It's just he's like everybody else. Like, oh, these these girls who had no chance all of a sudden have a chance. Like, and he gets in it. And I, I don't know. There's just something about that character. It was kind of refreshing because so often the deans are, like, painted into these crazy you know, agenda-driven, you know, schmucks. And I liked having... In an image. Could... Like, being worried about the image of their schools and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And this one is, it's no, he's just genuinely doing his job. And I, I like that, especially for him, because he has been a villain before. Um, and it would have been easy for mm-hmm. him to be Shooter, you know, to be this arrogant, pompous guy who's maybe trying to sleep with the mom of the other dorm or something, you know, like, and it's not that at all. He's just doing his job. And I like that. 
Um, it's it's very refreshing. It's any movie where a teacher or a principal figure is not made into a villain, especially like a cartoon villain, I appreciate it because we're often painted as the bad guys, like, and or it, completely incompetent or fumbling yeah, idiots or exactly. And he's none of that. He's he's he seems to be really good at his job, you know. And um, I I appreciate that aspect of that film as well that they don't over exaggerate the drama there because it's a dumb comedy. It could easily go you know, crazy with the Dean or him be like some skeevy pervert who's trying to hook up with the college girls. It's nothing, none of that at all. They don't even, uh, he's just a guy doing his job and he does it well and right. And, you know, he seems like a nice guy really, which again, for that actor, not something he gets to play very often. So it was, that was refreshing too. So I think that's a really great pick actually. It's a movie that I feel like maybe got slept on by some people, but, um, it's, it's definitely funny. Um, it's got some good messages. It's got some bad messages, but it's got some good messages too. Um, you know, it's, would you would you say it's kind of like a modern reworked Revenge of the Nerds kind of thing? I, I haven't seen it. I'm, oh, really? Um, I wouldn't go that far. Um, the girls are nerdy that she like takes under her wing, um, but it it's not. It's more of a makeover movie um, because she she teaches them to be cooler incompetent and confident and again it goes in a negative direction for a little bit with that but then they it, the ship writes itself um and the girls find a balance of being themselves but also being confident and being okay with being pretty and not you know not feeling like they can't be attractive or they'll lose the other side of themselves because that is kind of the the issue it's almost as if because i'm smart i have to look this way I can't look this, you know, I can't look glamorous and gorgeous because that sh that's superficial and that takes away from who I am. And I think they find a balance in that. And I kind of, I think that's a positive message that you can be more than one thing. Like you're not limited by your interest or you're not limited by your intelligence to have to be this stereotype of like, if I'm smart, I can't be attractive. Like, no, you can be attractive and be smart and be confident in, in your looks, you know, um, and embrace your your differences rather than hide them. Like there's a lot of positives that can be pulled out of the movie for sure. I love Rumor Willis's character is in like that body brace the whole time, yeah. and she doesn't even have to be, but it's like become a comfort thing for her. Yeah, it makes her feel and there's like, yeah, and there's like that scene that's so Forrest Gump. She starts running and it just like breaks off. Yes, oh it's definitely a Forrest Gump moment, the slow motion. Oh, and um, worthy of note, All American Rejects do a, pre a predominant amount of the soundtrack, um, but the lead singer is also the love interest of Emma Stone in the movie. So um, if you're a fan of All American Rejects, which I, I like them, um, he did do an obnoxious British accent when I saw them live last time, and I was like, you're not British. Um, and it was really bad, too. But, uh, yeah, um, that's another bonus if you like them. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to number four then, Mike. What is your number four movie from the two thousands? All right. So, um, Lars von Trier is infamous for the kinds of work he's works he's produced or directed over the course of his directorial career. And two thousand nine's Antichrist is easily one of his most difficult to watch films. It might not be too far off to say that this is probably one of the more most inaccessible films in my top five picks, not just 
including this list. I mean, overall, because just, uh, and I would feel that the ratings agree with this sentiment. It's got a 6.6 IMDb score, 49 meta score, 50% rotten rating on the tomato mutter. Um, so ra- rating wise, it's not done very well, but, uh, I wonder though, if the subject matter has a lot to do with that. So basically the gist of the story revolves around a, the loss of a couple's only child whilst or while they were in the throes of their own ecstasy. It's a une- really difficult. And I keep saying that, that uh, an uneasy contrast between Willem Dafoe, who's the father and Charlotte Gainsbourg, who's been in a couple other Lars von Trier films. Uh, so their lovemaking and then their child's impending doom. It's grueling. It's so, it, it's tough to watch. I mean, as a parent or even as not, not someone that's a parent, I don't think they would find this very easy to watch uh, the loss of a child. Cause you see it goes back and forth to what mom and dad are doing. And then you see what the toddler is doing. And so, mm-hmm. Because of that, as a result of that, they choose to recover at a really remote cabin. They isolate themselves. And after that, all sorts of disturbing visions and odd depravity ensue from there. It's separated out into specific chapters, and that's how it opens. There is an unflinching graphicness to the entirety of the film. There's definitely times that you wonder how in the world some of these scenes could have been filmed just because what happens physically to Willem Dafoe and his wife and, or Charlotte Gainsbourg's character. Uh, there's all sorts of several subtexts going on. I'd be, I'd be lying if I could say that I fully understood them on the first viewing or second viewing. And I don't even know that you'd want to watch it much more than once or twice. Uh, and it, uh, I'm okay with admitting that it, there's a lot going on. There's different themes going on there. And, you know, a lot of the times film is just a means to just escape, turns off one's brain for an hour and a half or two. And there is definitely a place for that. Hollywood has built an entirety of an empire on that mindset. This is not that kind of film. It's going to permeate within you, brew inside, burrow into your brain quite like, not quite like uh, con city eels and burrow deep in there. It's. I would definitely follow it up with something lighter or maybe not even have company over to watch it because it's not one of those or not one that you would set to, you know, fall asleep. I have a habit of setting a movie on and then use that as the litmus test. If I stay awake, oh, that was pretty good. If I fall asleep, I wouldn't do that with this. <laughs> uh, so that's my pick, 2009's Antichrist. I have not seen it. I am a Willem Dafoe fan. In fact, uh, seeing this movie reminded me that he is the voice of the um, the demon in the Death Note. Netflix movie uh, that Adam Wingard oh. is is right uh, directing, um, who did uh, oh what's the movie he did? No, crap, never comes to me when I need it. Um, Adam Wingard. Um, but yeah, so I was uh, they they had a new trailer come out during Comic Con for it where you get to hear Defoe as uh, Defoe as the guy, and it's it. I'm not familiar with uh, Death Note very much. Like, I know of it and whatnot, but mm-hmm. um, I am now excited. Um, oh, sorry, your next is the Adam Wingard film that I was trying to think of, The Guest, and also VHS that you, I believe, are a fan of, Mike. Um, oh. He's directing Death Note, so. Interesting. So, um, but, yeah, uh, it, it's one that I'm intrigued by, but I do know of, uh, I forgot his name, Lars von, what? Trier. 
Trier. I know he's very controversial. The the Nymphomaniac films, for example, um, are mm-hmm. very graphic, from my understanding. I've not seen any of his mm-hmm. movies, to my knowledge, but um, I'm I'm intrigued mainly because of Defoe. But same, and I'm reading. Uh, I was looking at some of the images for it, and. Apparently, they said that uh, someone said I can't read it because the image is kind of small, but it's like the most shocking film at Cannes and uh, Cannes, uh, the history of Cannes Film Festival. But I don't know. This one seems like it might be too heavy <laughs> for me to casually pop and, you know, yeah. give a watch. Oh, it's it's not a casual, hey, let's just pop it in and for fun and kick some good. <laughs> yeah, it's not I have giggles. to, like, work myself up <laughs> so much for some movies. It's horrible. She didn't like Chinatown, so, you know, it's no. negative things. Oh I know. An right? American classic, and she has put the hammer down. Maybe noir might not be for me if that's what they are. Yeah, yeah I think you know. she's not going to be a noir fan. I think it's the uh, the cynicism of the films um, that she's not connecting to. But I love that, so, you know, that's my thing. Um, all right, well, let's move into my number four. Um, my number four is one I think probably everyone has seen. But the only way I can describe this movie is to say that it is fetch. Um, and that is... Hey, wait! Oh, Stop oh. trying to make fetch happen. No, happen. it will happen, damn it. Um, I mean, darn it. No. <laughs> Corey, are you telling me to My wait? My father. Yeah. Okay. I am. All right, so uh, in, if you're wait new to the podcast... Wait a minute, in nine, Hold nine on. years of movies and we have one overlap? That's crazy. <laughs> My father, the inventor of the toaster strudel, would not be very happy, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, because Corey, somewhere on her list, will have Mean Girls, we'll talk about it when we get it, to it on her list. So, Corey, what is your number four? Okay, um, my number four, I think that you also recently watched it. I recently-ish watched it, and I'm glad I did because I hadn't. Um, it's 2006, The Prestige. Ah, wow. Okay, made your top five. Yeah, um, I watched it, I think, when it first came out on DVD. Don't quote me on that. But um, I'm glad that I recently watched it again because there were so many things about that movie that I didn't catch. I just really didn't absorb it. And we've talked about how Hollywood will have movies come out that kind of mirror each other and this one yeah, um the illusionist this one came with the illusionist came out around the same time and at the time i enjoyed the illusionist better i think that it was just mm. easier for me to you know yeah. grasp onto or something but um i need to give the illusionist another watch but i just think that everything about the uh prestige is perfect um oh my gosh D- david bowie is tesla oh no yeah, no, who plays Tesla? No, yeah, you're right. It's Bowie. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Christian Bale in this so much, and Scarlett Johansson, and Hugh Jackman, and Albert, um, I want to say Albert, no, not Albert Finney. Michael Caine? Michael Caine, thank you. Oh, okay. Um, Michael Caine in this, I just love it so much. Yeah, it's... Uh, and you can't... Oh, go ahead. Oh, um, it's about magic and the three different um, parts of a magic trick. And I just think that the whole story is so great. Now, it's a Christopher Nolan film, who I am a fan, and I think all of us are. But um, he is a director who's often disliked by um, a lot of critics. Not all critics, but a lot of critics do hate on him. 
Um, kind of in the same way that Spielberg gets hated on at times um, because he is mainstream to a degree. Like, his movies are... He has a very distinctive style, I guess is how to put it. Um, and he likes interesting storytelling. Um, and, man, The Prestige, when I watched it finally last year for the first time, I was blown away. Um, but I am a big Nolan fan. I, I've... I don't think I dislike any of his movies. Um, Interstellar is one of my favorite movies. I love Dunkirk. I love the Batman trilogy, which Batman Begins was my number five that I switched last second there. Um, and it wasn't because Batman Begins is my favorite of the trilogy, but because it kind of changed that character as far as cinema goes. You know, we were left with the Batman and Robin uh, awfulness in our mouth from uh, that film. And Batman Begins re revitalized the character. So bringing a Nolan film into a top five from this time period makes perfect sense. I considered putting Memento on my list um, because it's his first major success um, that got him going in with all the other films. Plus, it was very revolutionary in terms of storytelling. Um, maybe not necessarily revolutionary. But again, anytime a movie comes in and doesn't follow linear story structure, people get excited. And... Um, because it's different it, it stands out and it's uh memento succeeded very well with that so and that's why they don't need to remake it which i've heard <laughs> yeah, there's, oh. there's no reason i think no reason it needs to be redone. What, what you've said about critics hating on him i think it's so funny because we saw with interstellar getting purposefully like left off of so many lists yeah. for that year mm -hmm. and i'm just like if I, and I don't understand, like, going into something and not necessarily, I don't know, like, just hating on someone so bad. I can understand not enjoying, but then I feel like sometimes it's like, oh, it's too mainstream for me, or oh, too popular for me. You know what I mean? And I feel like, yeah. I mean, if that's how you want to live your life, and, and you want to cut down... I know your, some of it know. is a personal thing, because he, if you've listened to him, uh, Christopher Nolan, in interviews and stuff, he can come off a little pompous. Um, and a little arrogant in a way. So I can see people not liking him and thus hating his films as a result. Um, I kind of look past it because I feel like a lot of the pompousness is still coming from a place of film appreciation, which is what I love. I love that he loves movies um, and like the art of film and, and the theatrical nature of film. And I appreciate that. Even if he, like there was a recent interview about his opinion of Netflix and him saying... He says something like, I don't oh, know yeah. why anybody would uh, make a Netflix movie. And that that didn't come off as condescending to me when he said it because I'm like, well, from his point of view, you make a movie for the big screen. So if you're making a movie for a company that doesn't support theaters, you're not you're not making a movie the way it's supposed to be made. Um, it was another podcast that pointed out to me why that was pompous. And it's simply there are thousands of directors who don't get the opportunity to have their movie on a big screen but can on netflix and so well, i can see that but we also see the way that he films his movies to be seen on the big screen he goes you know he does things that mm -hmm. but he that's a lot of directors don't do and but the point so, that they but... made was like his original film following um if if we were to move that movie to now, like if his first film was coming out now, he would take the Netflix deal in a heartbeat. But he's at a place where he can make the big oh, movies. Right. I saw I mean, that he said that, and I don't agree with that, but I'm sorry to cut you off, Mike. Well, I mean, in a way, he's kind of 
it is condescending sounding. Yeah. Because there wouldn't be something like, let's say, what, Tangerine? Yeah, the movie made all uh, on an iPhone. Uh-huh. Um, so he's going to discount that, which I'll be honest. I mean, full disclosure, I haven't watched Tangerine, but the fact that it's done using, you know, not using the multi-million dollar equipment that he is privy to. It, it is, it's almost elitist sounding. And yeah. I, and that's the thing. I, I won't hold that against him because I long ago was very jealous that you got Dunkirk as a pick. Uh, Memento yeah. was, yeah, I still haven't watched following. I need to watch following. It's really good. Just a, yeah, just about anything he has done. I can't think of uh, anything that he's done poorly. I think his and, worst movie is dark Knight rises. Um, and I still like that uh, movie. That probably the weakest. And bet considering the overall, I mean, it didn't go a Schumacher route. So true that it, it still does stuff, but it does some weird. Like the the ending never felt fully satisfying. Um, and of course, the the rumor has been that the plan was supposed to be the Joker and Heath Ledger's sudden death right. ruined that plan, and so we got a, a salvaged script rather than the intended script. So. If that's true, you got to wonder what the movie would have been had he made it the way he initially envisioned it. Um, and given the rest of the, the that trilogy, it totally makes sense that he would have had Joker in the third movie. Um, mm-hmm. Especially since Scarecrow was in all three. Like, it, it made sense that Joker wasn't gone. Um, so, kind of sad we didn't get to see his original vision. And maybe it, would, it wouldn't have that kind of uh, anticlimactic feel to it. And if, I mean, how difficult of a choice would it? I mean, because it could have been so easy to recast, which would have been impossible. Yeah. But it's probably better for it that he didn't. Definitely. Um, yeah. But cause... I mean, uh, not everything's going to be high highbrow cinema. Um, yeah. And even his work isn't all necessarily highbrow cinema. I mean, because some directors, some filmmakers might look at him and say, "Well, you've done comic book films," which I am not against. It's just you know. It's, I don't know, don't... But his comic book films don't feel like comic book films. Like, they feel no, like no. dramas played out with a comic book character. Um, and one of the complaints I heard about him recently was uh, his characters and his exposition. Because he does have a lot of dialogue-heavy exposition, um, especially Interstellar. There's a lot of stuff that we only know because of conversation. Um, but, it, again, it's... And also um, Inception, uh, where the characters have to constantly explain what's going on to each other but essentially it's so that we know what's still happening like we still understand that they're in the dream that's in this dream and whatever um which um you know okay maybe that's the case but his movies are complex as heck like i kind of i like that he's not afraid to tackle challenging story matter you know um there are concepts that people get uncomfortable hearing even you know that's one of the things i think with interstellar interstellar challenges belief systems essentially um, so I can see people being kind of put off by it, you know. Um, but we're not here to talk about Nolan. But uh, Corey's pick number four, Prestige. I love that movie. I think it sounds like Mike is a fan as well. Yeah, um, I uh, need to rewatch it. It's been on. I want to watch it again because I haven't watched it recently. So, yes, I'm a fan. Yeah, the the story I loved. I was so shocked at the end. I don't want to spoil it. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, even though we did give a spoiler warning, I don't want to because it's one that I think the less you know about the Prestige, the better. But it is a movie you have to watch. You cannot multitask. You have to give it your attention, um, which is one of the things I do like about Nolan. He kind of demands that you watch his movies. Like you got to pay attention to his films. Um, 
and Dunkirk, he doesn't demand it. He 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 takes you and pushes your face into the movie. Like you can't look away. Um, you have to watch what's happening. You're t- you're too invested. Um, all right, let's go to Mike's number th- uh, three. Mike, what is your number three movie from the two thousands? All right, if I could have, I probably very well, or I may very well have included as many Lars von Trier films on my list as I could have. And here's his second appearance on my list: two thousand and three's Dogville. Mm-hmm. Starring Nicole Kidman, Lauren Bacall, one of my favorites, Chloe Sevigny, Paul Bettany, Stellan Skarsgård, Udo Kier, Ben Gazzara, James Caan. I mean, it's got a cast. The cast is amazing, to say the least. Uh, Score is only slightly better than the previously mentioned Antichrist. 8.0 IMDb rating, 60 Metascore, 70% fresh on the tomatometer. Um, Nicole Kidman plays Grace, a woman that's on the run who ends up at a small Colorado town of Dogville. And because of the situation that Grace finds herself in, she ends up having pretty much little or no say in what happens to her. She's under the realization that what hiding out costs her because she's at the mercy of the entirety of the community, the whole population, for fear that her location is going to be revealed by any single person in the community so at that point it very much becomes a morality tale in that adults and children alike end up treating grace well they take advantage they it's kind of something along the line that would befit an indentured servant or even worse uh, she's actually even assaulted at some point while others in town look the other way uh the interesting irony of it all is that despite her minimal to no power in Dogville, she eventually is in a position that she has power over the whole town. And it would be a huge spoiler to reveal it. I mean, I can just tell you outright if you'd like. No. Uh, at the time it was no. released, uh, Dogville was divisive between critics, viewers, and probably very much um, any anything Lars von Trier is probably going to cause some controversy. We just talked about them. This was one, uh, it wasn't Dogman 95, but it has the way it it really takes some getting into. And again, it's not light subject matter at all. And it's really well done. And one that probably not very many people have seen. Yeah, I'm intrigued by it. It looks like it's on Showtime. Um, I'm I'm guessing, I could be wrong, it might just be them trying to get me to get Showtime, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people in this movie that I'm a fan of. Jeremy Davies is in uh, Lost mm-hmm. uh, season five and six, I think. Um, and John Hurt is in it. Uh, Zeljo Ivanik is in stuff that I've seen before. Um, Udo Kier. I mean, yeah, a lot of people that I like uh, their work. Oh, and Selen Skarsgård, um, who's in mm-hmm. the Thor movies. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah, I'm... Uh, he must really be, because he's also in uh, a couple other... Large Montreal's an infomaniac, so he must. Mm. He, he and Whoa. Stellan must must get get along real well. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I'm interested. Corey, I have not seen this either. So you need to have seen his number two and number one to uh, get your full. Because I don't think the beach counts, because you said you only saw half of it. So I don't think I don't that know. counts. As yeah, no, I don't what get par- I don't half. get partial credit. Yeah, you have to see the whole movie. What? teacher even though you own it like steelbook but you know whatever um no owning it is not partial credit either so no i don't really own it guys yeah i was joking oh Um, 
<laughs> Let's get into mine number three and hope Corey hasn't seen it doesn't have this on her list. Um I felt again, I kind of approached it from like relevance and one of my favorite movies, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, later references this when they uh their first fighter when they ask him, like, Are you a pirate? He goes, Pirates are in this year. But really, mm. Pirates came back in 2003 with Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, this uh, Johnny Depp led with Jeffrey Rush, Orlando Bloom, Keira Knightley, um, directed by Gore Verbinski, visionary director Gore Verbinski, according to the uh, Cure for Wellness trailers. Um, it's it's a movie that has had a huge impact on our our pop culture on the zeitgeist pirates in fact i was at walgreens today and there's a uh, time magazine that says why pirates are relevant again and um it wasn't referring to the movie it had just like a generic graphic of a pirate on the cover of the magazine i'm like yeah i i'm i'm def- i'm taking this pick um they brought something that was old you know pirates when i was a kid i never cared about pirates pirates was like an old school thing you know that was before my time um and, you know, I'd been on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. I never really, like, it's fine. I, I didn't dislike it or anything, but it wasn't like, ooh, pirates. This pirates, whatever. Um, but this movie came out, and I, I was skeptical. I was like, oh, a movie based on a ride? How lame. And then I saw it, and I really liked it. And then I went and saw the other two in the theater, and I didn't see Stranger Ties, but I did go see um, Dead Men Tell No Tales from this year. And... While it's not amazing, it's also not bad. There's good stuff in it. And, um, I mean, this movie kind of revitalized Johnny Depp, right? Like, he became a household name after Pirates. Granted, every movie he's done since, he's basically just playing a version of Jack Sparrow. But it brought his career, like, to new heights. You know, he's making lots and lots of money off of the Pirates. Um, and he still, to this day, he carries a, a Captain Jack Sparrow suit with him when he travels, and he'll pop into, like, children's hospitals as Jack Sparrow um, because it's such a cultural figure. So when I'm looking at these movies, I'm like, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl started it all. It brought pirates back into the zeitgeist. It deserves to be mentioned as a best of 2000+. Plus, that movie's great. Like, the first one's great. There's very little you can tell me about the first one that I will... A negative that you can say about it that I'm going to agree with. I love the first one. I also really enjoyed this i'm looking at the imdb and had totally forgotten that it was almost two and a half hours long mm-hmm. it is a yeah. long movie they're all fairly long to be fair but um it does have a 63 metacritic uh, 8.0 on imdb user rating though, so uh, it's one of those that i think would have been okay just do that one and uh yeah bloat it out I agree, but the fact that there are all the others does prove my argument that it has a cultural impact because they keep making them and they keep making money. Like, even though Dead Men Tells No Tales has not done great in America, it's made over $500 million worldwide. So, Oh, my God. And I shudder to think the cultural impact that The Fast and Furious has had then. Oh, (laughs) dude, it's, yeah, that's, but we see that one. That one's, like, people aren't walking around dressed like pirates right now, but people do have like crazy streetcar since that movie started mm-hmm. um i remember oh, yeah. like yeah, there's a Publix in winter haven that if you go after they close there is a car club that meets there every friday and saturday night and they've been doing that since the fast and furious movie came out so the first one so like you know that cultural impact is heavy on those movies and agreed that's not a good thing but you know <coughs> all right um that's my number three 
Both of you have seen it. Both seem to uh, like the first one, but maybe maybe the first is where it should have ended. Although I don't hate number two and three. A lot of people hate both of those. I do not. Um, I enjoyed both. In fact, I found, granted, there's plot problems and stuff like that, but that's not why I watch those movies. I, I like the set pieces. I like a lot of the characters that they create. Like I like Davy Jones. I love Captain Barbosa. He was my favorite part of the trilogy. Um, Dead Man Tell No Tales is a kind of... I don't like what they did with Barbosa, but um, yeah, you know th that was the thing with the three movies. There was stuff that I really liked about all three of them, but the first one, um, getting to meet Jack Sparrow, uh, seeing you know how the story goes, it easily could have ended with that one too, as you pointed out. Like it could have been a standalone movie. The trilogy was really you know, being greedy to a degree, but and don't forget that they changed the ride to match the movies. You know, they added Jack Sparrow, they added Barbosa. Um, they added little nods to the films in the the ride, which is, I think, one of the first times that had ever happened, where the ride was there to inspire the movie, and then the movie made them revitalize the ride because of how popular the film was. I had forgotten they did that. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's move into Corey's number three. Okay, like I was saying about my father, the amateur of the Coaster Strudel, I chose 2004's Mean oh, Girls. There we go. Um, I know, um, Amanda, uh, how do you say her last name? Seafried. Seafried. Um, I know you're not a fan of her, nope. but her character, Karen, in this movie, kills me every time. She's funny. Every single time. Um, I, one of my favorite parts is when she's, uh, talking about her cousin. He's not, like, my cousin. He's, like, my first cousin. Um, she always, um, Tina Fey hit the nail. Corey? Oh, what? oh, I lost. Uh, Bill oh. and I decided to see this one. I think that our movie. Oh, yeah, it I lost the nail and then it dropped. Yeah. Oh, weird. Okay. Um, Tina Fey hit the nail on the head with this one. Um, I think that when Bill and I saw this, our movie plans had fallen through, or we were late, or something, and we saw this one kind of as a, you know, it was our backup plan. And I'm really glad that we did because it is so hilarious. And I mean, 13 years later. People are still quoting this like nobody's business. Um, I didn't see any need for any sequels. I never watched any of those. No. But I think that um, this one's a good one that I think most people would enjoy, even if you're not a teenage girl. Um, this was a movie I slept on for a long time. Like, I had not seen it. I don't think I saw it till maybe five years ago. Um, oh, and it was it didn't look like it was for me you know it looked like it was a movie for high school yeah. girls and it came out when i was in college oh graduating college um i wasn't a Lindsay lohan fan i didn't know who rachel mcadam was at the time um i didn't know who tina fey was but i didn't realize she was the writer of it for right away um and uh when i finally watched it i know i watched it because my wife was watching it and i just kind of sat in on parts of it and i kind of was like oh well this isn't what i thought it was and um as I watched it more and more, I was like, man, there's so much greatness in this movie. Like, cinematically, there's some awesome parts. Like, I love when she's at the mall and she, re like, references it as the water hole for yes. the, the animals and all the, the teenagers start acting like wild animals. Like, I love that scene. Like, that's the cinematic stuff like that is great. Um, there's a lot of funny parts. It is the 2000s version of Clueless, essentially. It has that same impact that Clueless had on the 90s kids mm -hmm. uh, for this generation. And like you said, um, people still, were, uh, they don't wear... Do they not wear pink on Wednesdays, or they wear pink on Wednesdays? 
<laughs> I wear pink on you Wednesdays. Pink. There's still I, I hear kids make that on joke. On Wednesdays we wear pink. Yes, I hear kids make that joke. I have been making the fetch joke for a long time. Um, and then somebody the other day, I can't, I'm trying to remember, somebody messaged something to me. Um, and I was like, I messaged back uh, a, the Gretchen Wiener uh, quote where it's, you know, you can't just ask people why they're white. Like, because um, <laughs> it wasn't, they didn't say it, but they said something where it was that same kind of like, you can't just say that. Like, you can't just ask people why they did that. Um, and I, oh, I wish I could remember what it was, but it, uh, like, that's the type of stuff that this movie does and why it's on my list. At, although mine's number four, I easily could have put this at one or two even because it does have such a cultural um, impact and it's still relevant all these years later. Like, I didn't realize it was a 2004 movie because it's, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's aged at all. Like, in a, it's no, it's still pretty timely. Relevant. Yeah, it feels very relevant. And um, like it, it hits the. Uh, the stereotypes of or the clicks mentality of high school very well which high school movies tend to to last even like the breakfast club which does feel like it's aged kind of badly at times um because i don't i don't think like jocks are the same no come on now the their their character archetypes are really 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 dated they don't they don't quite fit today's society and i feel like that's true with some of mean girls i feel like the the preps are above and beyond what's re- real but that's what i think it has an age is it felt like a caricature rather than a uh, commentary on the reality um these were all heightened characters like the the gay guy is like super you know flamboyant and he's really hitting the stereotype hard um and that's a, i think true of like all the characters and then you have Lindsay lohan's character who isn't any of that she's completely normal and functional and she gets dragged into this world and brought made into a caricature and it's not until she realizes that that she gets to fix it you know it's there's a lot of really intelligent stuff and that's where tina fey's adaptation of the book really um you know plays a role and uh you know and then again it's, it's just funny there's a lot of funny parts in the movie so mean girls Every once in a while in our house, we will recreate the teens as wild animals, and it's really fun. (laughs) And that Jingle Bell Rock skit, oh my god, it's so inappropriate. And Amy Poehler in this movie is so funny. Oh god, the dog biting her nipples. a regular mom. (laughs) Bothers me so much. I can't. Every time. Okay, I'm done. Alright, yeah. That's such a weird role (laughs) for her, too. Um so funny though yeah oh no it it totally is uh all right um that comes back to mike then we're at your number two bud what you got sweet um all right so takashi mikei and i might be butchering it so i apologize for my our japanese listeners if we have any out there isn't one that's necessarily known for comedy uh either of you familiar with audition which sadly could not qualify for this because it was 1999 no no oh okay um all right if anybody with any partial familiarity with audition would quite very well be aware that he's not known for comedy anything that mckay does is not really comedic but his 2001 offering the happiness of the katakuris shows that mckay cannot only tackle humor but horror all in one uh, not only that, he pretty much throws everything short of the kitchen sink into this comedy, fantasy, horror film. The opening 
claymation completely caught me off guard because that is not what one expects from this particular director and I'm like okay and again having seen a good amount of the director's work I wondered how I'd be able to watch it because it is pretty obscure it's pretty tough to get thankfully Shutter helped with that uh, in any case the Katakuris are a family that's down on their luck they hedge their bets on an old home that they convert into a bed and breakfast that they call the White Lover's Inn that's near um, Mount Fuji. Well, it's near a garbage dump that's near Mount Fuji. So, unfortunately, in much the same way that it's, is it Radiator Springs in Cars? I think it is. Yeah. Uh, the lack of a road expansion that killed off Radiator Springs pretty much is the same deal here. The lack of a road that leads to the White Lover's Inn, that name just gets me. Uh, it leads to a dismal fate. They get no tenants. They get no, you know, borders or anything. So nobody's checking in. But eventually, guests do start checking in, and then it becomes more like a roach motel, which you guys are probably too young to remember the slogan where the roaches check in but never check out. I remember that. The guests check in and never. Oh, okay. I didn't know because that's an old. That's an old slogan. That's an old jingle. No, the guests end up checking out alive each of them falls some sort of horrible fate some horrible death in some way which kind of puts the whole family in a bind you know at that point they have to figure out what to do uh it, it seems over the top but i mean it is a pretty unforgettable ride um i really wish audition had been released in 2000 one year later because that would have definitely been my top choice but this one's this one's stuck in my mind because it's such a combination of genres and it's whoa uh 7.2 imdb score 60 meta score 64 percent fresh on the tomato mutter <laughs> all right um i haven't seen it uh it is i'm interested i don't know much i don't know i haven't seen anything i don't think by this director but he has 102 credits as the director um and a lot per year yeah yeah, he works like a madman. I would start with Audition, which I think is a lot easier to get a hold of. Uh, again, not light viewing. I would plan something. It is, it, The concept behind Audition is pretty simple. A widower, you know, the son wants his dad to get back in the game. So he sets up a fake audition to try to get a date for his dad. And it goes all sorts of wrong after oh. that. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm intrigued for sure. Yet another uh, one. I, I do want to watch more foreign films. So, like, whenever that uh, arises, I'm, I'm curious. So, all right, uh, Corey, you are in the same boat as me yet again, which means you have not met your two movie viewing of Mike. So I win this week. Haha. <laughs> no comment. Okay. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Man, she's nothing witty, guys. She's, she's reveling in her her steel bookery. All right, now this movie, it's a little different than the other ones because the other ones I feel like have had an impact on like the culture where people are talking about them, and you hear people talk about these movies all the time. This movie had a big impact on me, but I also think it kind of nailed what our culture would be like um, ahead of its time. And this is the 2000 film High Fidelity, where the phrase top five movies, initial, or well, top five, kind of came from. Why I do a top five list and not something else is because I loved High Fidelity. 
Um, it is a John Cusack film uh, with um, you have Todd Luiso, Jack Black, uh, Tim Robbins, and then directed by Stephen Frears. Uh, it's a, based on a book by Nick Hornby. Um, and I always connected a lot with this film. The guy runs a CD vinyl store um, and he's analyzing his uh, past relationships, trying to figure out why his current one with his girlfriend played by Ibn Hajel. Hajili? I have no idea how to say her name. Um, her name's Lisa in the movie. And uh, analyzing why this relationship fails, so he goes back uh, and looks at his top five breakups of all time, trying to figure out what he does wrong, why he can't make a relationship work, why is he broken. Um, and it's it's a heavy kind of drama in that way, but there's a lot of humor in it. Um, there's some really, really funny scenes. Jack Black is fantastic. And... Um, where I think it really nailed cultural impact is they're hipsters before hipsters were a thing. Um, there's no question in my <laughs> mind that they, the people in the movie are hipsters. They're elitist. They like vinyl over, you know, CDs and cassettes. And this is in 2000 where that was not really the trend yet. Um, I think they predicted where we would be now. Uh, so in 2000, we have these, this group of people um, who are, elitist vinyl you know they're hipsters that's all i can say there they are hipsters before hipsters was a phrase and i think uh that if you watch this movie now you wouldn't realize it was set 17 years ago like it still feels very much relevant very much a part of now um and i think that in that way they were a little ahead of their time um and that works expertly uh for you know when it when it works out now Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people have seen this movie. It does have a very positive score. It has a 79 Metacritic and a 7.5 on um, IMDb user score. So people that have seen it like it. But it's not one that when I say, have you ever seen High Fidelity? Most people don't know what it is. But it is one of my go-to movies. Um, I love it. it. It actually, I don't know if it's on my top 50 right now, but it should be. Because it is, it's a film that I've revisited many times. And again, I have a close kinship to the film mainly because of the the passion for music, but there's so much about it that I connect with. And again, that is why I do top five things. In fact, not only do we do the top five movies podcast now for over a year, um, and I did, before we started doing the podcast, I did a few top five lists as an article on the website. Um, but even before that, I was uh, going through some old PowerPoints from my, my teaching, and I found uh, one of the do nows I was doing for, I think, at least a year, I did a uh, top five Fridays where I would pose them different subjects to do a top five list about. Um, so it's been something that I've been connected to and I do attribute it to this film. So <laughs> it was definitely one that was de uh, hugely underviewed, um, but it may not appeal to all sensibilities. It should though. Uh, I would pair that up with gross point blank. Yeah. Just because I think it would be such a good double feature. I'm Although, a fan which of both. one first? Which one first? I think Gross Point's a little darker um, because of the nature of the character being a hitman. Um, so I maybe I would maybe start with that and then end with a little bit lighter. Um, it's again, it's still there's some heavy stuff in High Fidelity, but ultimately, uh, it's yeah, a there are. Yeah, but I mean, it's not. He's not a he's not a, a hitman for hire. Like um, maybe that's what he ended up becoming after his hitman life he, or... he used his money to buy a record store <laughs> <laughs> well i got jack black um, um this was the first time i ever heard him sing bef like before tenacious d um 
and I was really blown away because I was already kind of aware of him. Um, like I'd seen him in some other stuff. He's in Cable Guy. Uh, I can't. I think he might have been an enemy of the state already at that point too. Um, but this is the movie where I became a Jack Black fan, and uh, like, there's the part where the guy comes in and asks to buy a specific album, and he's like, "Let me see." Like, yeah, right here. And the guy's like, "How much?" He's like, "Let me see." Oh, actually, we're not selling this. And this whole like this elitist mindset of, <laughs> um, it just it cracks me up. It it, it felt like my life, um, in a lot of ways, because I've always been a music elitist. Like, what I like is the best, and if you don't like what I like, then you're wrong. Everything else is is not good so um but Corey, what were you gonna say oh also i think that um i haven't read any of hornby's books but i think that this movie brought a lot of attention to nick hornby as an author i feel like um you know i heard more about him and i started seeing his books yeah i think he's had a few uh, adapted since then too um i can't think of what but i think he's got at least two more books that have been adapted to film um I don't think hmm. they've been oh. as successful. I might be wrong, but I feel like he had a couple other books adapted. About a boy. Ah, well, there you go. That one was very successful. Okay. Had a TV series even from that. Um, oh, apparently he was a writer for Brooklyn, too, which I haven't seen yet. Oh. oh. Wow, Brooklyn was wow. really good. Um, yeah. I didn't realize his connection to that. Um, yeah. Well, there you go. Um, way better than The Notebook, guys. All right. I haven't seen The Notebook yet. Oh. I apologize. Um, all right, Corey. What's was he your... associated with that? Hornby? No. Uh, I was mocking because oh, it's was... the other writer whose name I can't think of who mm-hmm. has all the, the, the movies. I was going to say, I thought that was Nicholas Sparks. Oh, That's it, yeah. Sparks. Yeah, I was mocking that. Because like, to me, I think Hornby gets kind and of lumped you... into that. Well, and you need to know his name so you can actively avoid those films. Yep. Yeah. Nicholas Sparks movies. Nope. Although I do have The Notebook and I am planning on watching it eventually. Um, <laughs> well, I think that Rachel McAdams and um, I like the flashback parts of it i like ryan um, gosling but so. then yeah i love them together so much oh would have been better with ryan reynolds or emma stone so <laughs> i can't um all right Corey, what is your number two dun, dun, dun. mine is 2007 lars and the real girl speaking of oh. ryan gosling interesting <laughs> yeah um i this is um one that i've seen a lot i haven't seen it in a little while but um Ryan Gosling always kills it, but this role gets me, like, right in the guts every time. I love so much how the whole town comes together to kind of um, support him, and I love Patricia Clarkson in this so much as, like, his um, doctor slash therapist, kind of. Um, Emily Mortimer and Kelly Garner. Um, I just love everything about this movie, and... It could be so, I don't know. He orders a, a real doll and makes it his girlfriend. And I'm forgetting her name right now. It's absolutely ridiculous, but I just love the story so much. Yeah, um, I remember when I first heard about it, I was very afraid to uh, to see it. I I didn't want to see a dude with a real doll. Um, yeah. But, but it's not at all that. Um, and, like, it should be noted, while technically the real doll is a doll, like a replacement for a sexual partner um that is not what he uses it for at all it is a replacement for a wife or a girlfriend or significant other and it's it's more about that relationship and not the sexual relationship um between them 
and uh so yeah it was it was a surprise movie um one that an old singer of mine had actually recommended and we watched um it's an interesting pick uh you know it's one that i think definitely went unseen by a lot of people but it's it, uh the people who have seen it i've always heard positive things yeah and I, 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 oh, I was just gonna say i don't even remember how i came like how i saw this movie like what you know what I mean? I own it, but I can't remember. I think I bought it because Ryan Gosling is in it, you know? And yeah. then I just ended it's, up loving it's it. It's one of those you'd have to actively seek out because it's, you know, the, the premise is kind of, you, you don't, like you said, there's some trepidation. You don't know what it's going to be about. And then, you know, because I, um, I stayed away from it because it just, I wasn't sure and I'll just have to watch it. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's and, not as bad as it easily could have been. Like, if it was a Von Trier's movie, I would say don't watch it because it's going to be scary. Uh, um, oh, then it's entirely too tame for me. Uh, yeah, but um, I actually bought this at a Walmart in one of the, the bargain bins several years ago, though. Like, I don't think you're going to find it oh. there now. But um, several years ago, we, we were sh- uh, out shopping. I was like, hey, look, it's that one movie. And uh, we'd already seen it, I think. Kathy and I had seen it already from my friend who let us borrow it. Um, and this time I, uh, but we bought it because we, we were so, you know, shocked at how much we enjoyed it and how quirky it is. Cause it does, in a way it has, it's, I don't want to compare it to Napoleon Dynamite cause it's not at all the same, but there is a quirkiness about it. Um, like the character and whatnot, there's this very distinctive person, Lars, that you will walk away remembering when you watch it. Um, but yeah, definitely one to check out um, if you've missed it. Uh, all right, we're in our number one. Uh, Mike, what is your number one from the best of two thousands? So it's interesting you all have brought up culturally relevant or affecting ones. This is the one I feel would be. Um, it was sandwiched in the middle of Gus Van Sant's Death trilogy, which includes two thousand and two's Jerry. I think we talked about Jerry a long while back. 2005's Last Days, uh, all three of which were based on actual events. This one is from 2003, Elephants. Uh, Elephant has no A-list Hollywood stars. It actually doesn't need them. It works better without them because the fact that they're using new and pretty much unknown talent gives the film this organic quality because it's not distracting or the viewer isn't going to be distracted by someone's celebrity because that, you know, someone that you recognize playing a role, you either figure, um, you, you count on them making it through. And because of what this is adapted from, you won't know who's it. it, It's an extremely difficult subject to tackle. It's a fictionalized school shooting incident that takes its cues from, 1999's Columbine High School Massacre. Oh, wow. Uh, Vance, Van Sant handles it very tactfully, and critics overall seem to welcome it and think very well of it. He wanted to make... His original concept was he wanted to make a completely factual film based on the incident, and I think that might have been... It's probably a, best, a good thing that the idea was scrapped because um, what reminded me very recently, Charlie Sheen has a 9-11 film coming out, and it just even after all these years, just looks terrible. And, I mean, the wounds were definitely very raw in either of those events. Um, so I'm glad they retooled it, they reworked it. 
Uh, it begins prior to the shooting. Uh, it proceeds to follow a number of different characters throughout. As I was typing it, it was definitely a difficult thing. Both of us, uh, Burke, you and I work at schools. We have children in schools. It definitely was a flood of emotions that, I mean, I remember watching everything unfold on television, and it's a difficult thing to even imagine happening. And you're, it, the way he does it and the way he follows the the characters through, it's just it's difficult it's 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 all my all my all my picks have been really tough watches in yeah. some way <laughs> in one way or another um it's, it's definitely one of those things is a, an important to not forget kind of thing um pretty highly rated of all my picks 7.2 imdb score 70 meta score 72 percent fresh on uh, rotten tomatoes um 2003's elephant well, I haven't seen it. Um, I am intrigued by it. This, the premise is, like you said, it's tough, but it's one that sometimes I like to put myself through things that are tough. Um, you know, not in, like not in a masochistic way, but just as like I think it's kind of you know good to be aware of that that negative side of of humanity. And um, given the the proximity that we are to the subject matter, um, I feel like it's worth checking out. And I've I don't feel like I've seen enough Gus Van Sant movies, and he's obviously a very well-regarded director too. So it's um, he's one on my list of movies I want to try to get to see more of. Like I want to see more of Jim Jarmusch's films. Um, I've only seen two, and I really like him. Um, so yeah, uh, it's on my list. Corey, I have not seen this one. I didn't realize that was uh, that that is what that's about. Um, mm. I have, I um, it. I yeah, um, the the other two, uh, Jerry, uh, I think it was Matt Damon and uh, not Ben, but Casey Affleck, based on a true story of two guys stranded out in the middle of nowhere and what they had to go through. And Last Days was the probably most accessible of the three, uh, kind of ba was, based on Kurt Cobain's Last Days. I tried to watch that. I own it, and I just couldn't. I thought it was... Um, because that has Kim Gordon, I believe, from uh, Sonic, oh Youth. Gosh, Sonic Youth. I love them. And then it has Michael Pitt playing mm -hmm. Kurt Cobain. And I just couldn't well, get into it. Well, it's not necessarily him. They don't... Well, they never... Yeah, they don't Kobe. say... No. no. It's implied. But, yeah, you can you figure that this is who he's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And Lucas Haas is in it. Well, uh, let's get into uh, my number one, guys. Um... I went in a different direction. Mike went for very obscure and often hard to watch movies. I've gone for more culturally accepted movies, um, even if like Super Troopers isn't for everybody. But generally speaking, it's a movie that's um, easy to watch and get into if you like the subject matter. Um, so my number one, when I thought cultural impact that came from this, um, I had my pick. I, I had several movies I could have picked for this number one, but I went with my favorite of the franchise, and that is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um... I mean, what's more culturally immersive than Harry Potter? There is, they've recreated the world from the movie in a theme park here in Orlando. We have the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. We have Diagon Alley. And I know they have that now in California as well at their Universal. Um, Harry Potter has now spawned, a, it was eight movies, right? We started with books in from 2001 to 2011. They made eight movies. Did you guys know that there were eight movies in 10 years? Because I didn't... I didn't realize they had popped them out that fast. Mm -mm. Yep. Oh, yeah. 
And then we get the theme parks, and now we have the Fantastic Beasts movies. That's going to be five movies. Um, there's another oh. book. The Cursed Child uh, was a play that they then adapted to a book, and I hear there are two new Harry Potter books coming out um, in the near future as well. So few things have infected our culture as much as Harry Potter has. Um, he, In a world full of comic book movies too, mind you, Harry Potter is still more prevalent. People love Harry Potter still. There are people who rep their their houses. You know, they've done the quiz and they know what house they're in. My daughter just got a Slytherin backpack. She's repping Slytherin. Yes, I know I'm ashamed. But um <laughs> you know, I'm proud that she likes Harry Potter though. That's something that matters to me. Uh it's uh, something that I not only is the culture, but it's something that I was resistant to for a long time. Um it wasn't until Percy Jackson, which I mentioned on our reboot episode, um, that I finally decided to read the Harry Potter books and after reading the first two books, I finally decided to watch the movies, and I could have picked the first movie, which would have made sense. That was the introduction to the franchise, but I don't think the first movie is great. There's good parts, but it's really long, and it drags. Um, the second movie is actually my least favorite, and it's partly because they cut out a major thing from the book that I liked a lot. But the third one, where we get Alfonso Cuaron, who is a, a really great filmmaker, um, he made Children of Men, um, which was an Academy Award-winning film. Um, and I'm trying to remember, he did something more recent. I'm looking up now, but he's a really talented... Oh, uh, gr- uh, Gravity. Um, I'm pretty sure, unless I'm screwing that up. I hope I'm not screwing that up. I'm confirming, guys. Hang on. Sorry. Uh, no, I'm right. Gravity. He made Gravity in 2013. Um, so this is a director who's, you know... Uh, this is the only Harry Potter film he does. Christopher Columbus did the first two, and then they had a... Uh, a different director, I think, for the last couple. Um, but this was my favorite. It's it's darker than the other Harry Potter movies. It's when we start to get into um, more of the magic, and you get to really start seeing the magic on screen. Uh, there's the great moments with the Dementors in this one. Um, you get the uh, uh, Patronus charm, which is one of my favorite things. Um, like, There's so much from this movie that I love about the Harry Potter universe that it was easy to pick this one over the others. But um, I also think when three movies come out and people want more, that's a really good sign that you've got something. You know, the first two movies, uh, sure, but they made a third one and people were like, all right, what's next? And we get eight. We get eight Harry Potter films um, with the same cast, uh, which is, of course, impressive too. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'd be hard to argue that this is not one of the most um, culturally impactful Full films of all time or franchises of all time <laughs> and it got an inordinate number of children reading and that's yeah fantastic. And even in our little town um because you know the bookstore right across from that store that i used to work at and your wife still works at um just seeing them line up for the books too oh yeah and like waiting for the midnight releases and that our bookstore in that little town did that like the fans was fun too yeah in the last book when uh deathly hollows came out that, that was huge like people were they was sold out at stores like it was crazy that a book was actually making people act like that because it's not usually books that make people act your it's video games it's the nintendo switch is coming out and people fight for them here was a book and people were like i want books and it's like what okay awesome you know yeah it's a change of pace so yeah um jk rowling uh just which hasn't been recreated since, I don't think. Nothing to this level, for sure. Like, I mean, you've had books that have done well. The 
the Fifty Shades books have done well. In, uh, mm-hmm. Not Twilight. not uh, Twilight. No. I was gonna say, but Twilight was kind of happening among the same time. The Hunger Games books, uh, Hunger Games did really well, but the the other two books suck. Catching Fire and Mockingjay are not good. Uh, Mockingjay significantly worse than the other two books. Um, a sign of where maybe you should have just left it as it was. Ambiguity might have been better than trying to answer all the questions that you raised in the first one. Um, but yeah, Harry Potter just... And again, it's it's still happening, but now it's expanding, you know? You've got... It's not since Star Wars have you had such an extended universe of content. You know what I mean? Like, where you have the core stuff, but now people want more. And there there's fan fiction, but she's now writing more content for it. Um, I mean, the Wizarding Worlds, the website. I mean, there's so much um, of the universe of Harry Potter. And that's really why it excelled so well. She built an interesting world, hidden amongst our world, that, based on her framing, too, could exist, you know, because we're muggles. We don't know about it, but it could be right there underneath our noses. Um, and that's really compelling. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's def- I can get behind this more than, you know, any of the other, some of the other franchises we mentioned. Pirates. I only mentioned Pirates as a franchise. Um, well, I mentioned Fast and the Furious. Which, oh, yeah, you know. which that's not on any of our list, so let's not talk about that one anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, Corey, we're on you. What is your number one? This is one of my favorite movies of all time. I've talked about it before. I want you to watch it. And I totally forgot that Billy Crudup is in it. So oh. that's a selling point. It's 2003's Big Fish. Ah. Um, mm. I was a fan of Tim Burton for a long time and he really lost me but I think that this is hands down his best film ever made um I love Edward Bloom so much and he's played so expertly by both Ewan McGregor and Albert Finney which is why I got mixed up with Michael Caine earlier oops um and then I didn't know until I was reading today and I didn't have time to like fact check but I think um well, I read that Steven Spielberg was originally pegged to direct this one and that he was going to try to get Jack Nicholson to play Edward Bloom. And sorry, not sorry. I'm glad that neither of those things worked out. Um, <laughs> I just love this movie so much. It's beautiful. Um, the whole cast is amazing. Uh, J- Jessica Lange. I'm going to forget everybody that's in this movie. Danny DeVito. Um, just so many great people. There are so many great characters the whole thing is that um edward bloom tells these really huge stories that everyone just thinks are completely made up tall tales and that ends up not being the case but i just think it's a great movie and i was realizing that next year will be the 15th anniversary i don't think it'll happen but if we could get like a rescreening of this in the theaters i did see this on the big screen when it came out um i would love to see it again on the big screen Hmm. It's funny that you end with this movie because you started watching The Beach but didn't finish it. I started watching Big Fish and didn't finish it um, <laughs> a few years back now. I think it was a good two or three years ago. I watched about half of it, and something happened. I had to go do something, or maybe one of my friends called me to, like, hey, hop on this video game or whatever, and I stopped watching it and intended to go back to it, and I never did. And I even bought it last year, um, early last year when I started the challenge, like like in January, I think I found it at the flea market for like a buck on DVD. So I bought it, and I still haven't watched it. 
Um, and it's not uh, it's not a conscious like effort of not watching it. I just haven't watched it. Um, it's one that I hope though uh, to to see because I am I have seen most of Tim Burton's films. I think at this point. Um, I'm missing a couple and that is one. And again, I enjoyed it when I was watching it. So like, I think I'll like it if I watch the whole thing, but I just, for some reason didn't. And it's long. I can't remember how long it is, but I just think it's such a great And yet you committed to this one. <laughs> I did. I did. Mike, have you seen it? Yes. A long time ago, but it, it's fuzzy. So it's, it, it'll call for a rewatch. Fuzzy fish is when you send it back to the restaurant. Um, I like anchovies. They're not yeah. fuzzy. <laughs> they don't have hair? I don't think so. That'd be weird, though. They have but... something. Um, all right. Well, that does it for our top five. Uh, before we completely wrap up, we like to go over some honorable mentions. I have, like, way too many, so I'm going to keep it short and sweet when you get to me. But, Mike, what are some movies you wanted to uh, make sure you discussed? These were tough leaving off. A lot of, uh, at least uh, most of them were... Ghost World, I wanted to, but oh. I figured we'd already talked about it. Donnie Darko, Requiem for a Dream, The Collector, Dead Snow, and District 13. All I want to get some horror in there and some action as well. District 13 is the cool parkour French movie, right? Yes. the it, It's hot. Uh, I just watched a Samuel L. Jackson, and I, I think it's India Isley. I can't remember her last name. It, it was an adaptation of an anime called... I might be saying it right. It's spelled K-I-T-E. I want to say Kite or Kite. I don't know the exact pronunciation. It wasn't. It had some of that Parker element, but this is District 13 is the one I remember. Whoa, it's like caught me off guard. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Uh, I had on my honorable mentions. Um, I love you, man, which is a Paul Rudd and Jason Segel comedy mm-hmm. that I uh, I really connected with. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I've talked about several times. Amelie, um, obviously the Edgar Wright, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, uh, Zombieland, Juno. Um, I wanted to mention uh, 500 Days of Summer, Be Kind Rewind, which I really, really enjoyed, um, V for Vendetta, Lost in Translation, um, one that is probably not a great movie, but I love Rockstar, which I think I've mentioned before. Um, it's a Mark Wahlberg movie. Um, the Others. And um, all the comic book movies. I mean, they, I could have mentioned Iron Man that started the, the Marvel franchise, um, which I considered because of the cultural impact. Batman Begins uh, and the X-Men movies, really, which raised the bar for the comic book films, right? The X-Men movie came out in 2000, and the the way comic book movies were made after that were kind of changed. You know, if you look at, like, Blade and Daredevil and stuff like that, and then X-Men, it's really kind of took the ball and went with it. And then Batman Begins... I think set the tone for the DC universe in a bad way. Like I feel like they came in knowing how great the trilogy did. So Man of Steel is a darker take on Superman, and then Batman versus Superman is even darker. It's like mm, it worked because it was Batman, guys. It doesn't. Every character doesn't have to be dark and gritty. But um, I have tons of other movies, but I'm not going to list them all. But there's so many great ones from this era, and obviously, uh, last week my best war movie, Inglorious Bastards, came out in this time period. Um, oh, and I gotta mention the Coens, the No Country for Old Men, you know, and Wes Anderson too has some great movies from this time period. So, Corey, I have Ghost World, Dan in Real Life, The Others, The Orphan, Frailty, The Life Aquatic, and The Royal Tenenbaums. Ah, two Wes Anderson movies. Um, so yeah, yep. um, 
yeah, so many great films that came out in this time period. Um, we'd love to hear yours. What did we leave off? What are some movies from 2000 to 2009 that would make your top five? Uh, you can tweet at us. I'm at Burke Reviews. Corey? At Corey R Star, two R's on the end. And Mike? At Server Monkey. And, of course, you're also welcome to comment on our blog post um, on BurkeReviews.com or on our Facebook page uh, if you don't want to tweet at us. However you want, we'd love to hear your top five. What do you think are the best movies from 2000 to 2009? Um, We'll be back next week with another topic. Uh, Thanks for listening. Please share our podcast. Tell your friends about us. We are trying to expand, and we're really hoping um, to get our listener base up a bit. So the more you tell uh about us the better our chances so thank you for supporting us we'll be back next week as i said with another topic so guys thank you for giving up your uh sunday evening thank you and night peace everybody get in loser we're going shopping